We are holding here Malachim Beis Perik Dalid. Malachim Beis Perik Dalid. Um, and we're really in the middle of the stories of Elisha. Right? The next, uh, in, we learned a number, for a couple of weeks, we learned about the stories of Elio Hanavi. And Elio Hanavi was, of course, the great famous Elio Hanavi, who was the Navi in the, in the difficult times under Achav, uh, the terrible king of the ten tribes, Tanshvatim, Achav, and Izevel. Um, and then, in the last week, we learned... Uh, am I being heard? Am I being heard here? Yes, okay. Um, and then last week, or was it two weeks? I can hear you. You good, okay, good. I just, I got a message that the internet is not stable, so. Okay, if not, you let me know. So, um, we learned about when Eliyahu Navi went up, Bisara HaShamayma, he went up to heaven. We talked about that, the only person in Tanakh, that the Tanakh tells us clearly that he went physically, his his, with his entire body, he ascended to heaven. And after him, the Navi was Elisha. And uh, we learned about the tremendous request that Elisha made of Eliyahu before Eliyahu goes away, goes, goes up, and that is that he should have pishnaim biruchacha, he should have double the ruach, double the spirit, um, the spiritual keche, spiritual powers of Eliyahu and Navi. And it was such a big request that even Eliyahu and Navi said he didn't know if he'd be able to grant that request, but that if Elisha would see him, as he ascends to heaven, then that's a sign that Elisha would receive that bracha. And indeed, that's what happened. Elisha did see Eliyahu Navi ascend to heaven and therefore was a recipient of tremendous bracha and tremendous nevuah. And really, the nisim that we read about Elisha, like nase after nase after nase, uh, reads like no other tzaddik that in, in Tanakh. The Tanakh tells us about just one miracle after another. And that's what we're in the middle of, really. We already began, and we're in the middle of Perigdala, it's in the middle of the various Nisim, the various miracles that happened um, through Elisha. And that's where we begin. Perigdala is a, a very beautiful story, um, and it's actually a Haftarah. We say it in Haftarah, um, in Parshas Vayera, I believe. And it says, V'isha achas It was a woman, a wife of one of the, one of the Nevi'im. Um, and she comes to Elisha, and she's crying to Elisha, and she says, um, your servant, my husband, died. And you know that my husband was a true Yare as Hashem, a true Yare Shemayim, feared Hashem. But he died and he left many debts. And the debtors are coming and they want payment. And being that I don't have anything to pay them, they want to take our two children as servants. That's the story. That's what the Navi, that's what the Pasik says. So we have, a, again, a woman, a wife of a Navi who says her husband died. And the debtor is coming to take her children as payment. Now, what's interesting is in, in the actual uh, words of the Navi, we don't know anything about who this husband is and who the children are and what's going on. But Chazal tells us, the Gemara tells us that it's a very important and interesting backdrop to the story. And that is that her husband was Ivadya the Navi. Ivadya was the one who worked in the home, in the palace of Achav. And he is the one, we, saw, we know that Achav and Izevel killed out most of the Nevi Hashem, most of the prophets. But Ivadya saved 100 Nevi, 100 prophets. And he had them uh, in two different, hide, hidden in two different caves. And he also took care of supporting them. Now, being that he supported them, that cost a lot of money, this Ivadya. This Ivadya spent tremendous amount of monies um, in order to support these 100 Nevi that he saved their lives. And the money, he took loans. He took loans to cover for saving the lives of these Nevi'im. Now, Ivadia had died. And he owed tremendous amounts of money. And to whom did he ultimately owe those money? To the king, which is Yehoram. 
Yehoram, the son of Achav, who's also a wicked and evil king like his father Achav, perhaps not as wicked, but definitely idolatrous and def- definitely a wicked king. So Yehoram, the king, is the collector. He's the one who owes the money. Did he know that he was loaning money to Obadiah for saving the prophet? That's a good, a good question. I don't know the answer to that question. Because he didn't, otherwise, why was he hiding them? He was hiding them because he was afraid the king was going to kill him? Well, the king then was Achav, the father. Yehoram wasn't quite as evil as Achav. So was Yehoram in on the secret that a hundred Nevi'im were being saved? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. In other words... Right, so you know, either he was just taking loans from him and didn't tell him why, or maybe he did know why and he didn't care. As long as he was making a lot of money off the deal, maybe he didn't care. Again, it's an interesting question. If I if I hear of an answer, I'll let you know. If anyone else does, let me know. So I don't know. Either way, that's what's going on behind the scenes here. And that again, in the pasuk, you don't know any of this. Pasuk just says a woman is crying that her sons are being taken for debts. But who's the woman and what's going on? Here, the Gemara fills in all the uh, details to the story. Um, in fact, it says, uh, furthermore, that Yehoram, um, Yehoram was wondering why his father Achav was extremely successful in all his battles. And Achav was a terrible person, but an extremely successful king. Um, he, had, he, he ruled over tremendous areas and so on. So Yehoram was asking advisors, what was my father's secret? Why was he so successful? Why am I not? And they told him, because your father had a prophet in the house. And that was Evadia. And the, the Navi, the Zchusa, the Navi Ovadia brought your father Zchus. So Yehoram says, okay, let me get a prophet too. And what I'll do is I'll go get those two children, the Ovadia's two sons, and I'll bring them to be in my home. So Yehoram comes to uh, Mrs. Ovadia, I don't know her name, and he comes to her and he says, you know what, if you give me your two sons to be with me in the palace, then I will forgive you all the debt." Because right? you owe me tremendous, exorbitant amounts of money. There's no way in the world you're going to pay me that money. So if you, let me, if you let your sons come to the palace and be my advisors, just as your husband of Anya was, then I will, for, I will forgive all the debts. And he tried to blackmail her. And she said, no way. She says, I don't want my sons going to a place of Abedizara. Uh, my husband served a special purpose there. He had to be there for a reason. But I'm not sending my sons to be the advisors and the people in the house of Abedizara. The and therefore she would not hear of it. And now he was threatening that he's going to take her, her children as, as, servant, as servants. And this is when she comes out to Elisha. Um, in fact, to take the story one more step, the Medrash says that she actually, she was, she was beside herself, obviously, and she went to the Besachoros, she went to the cemetery, and she called out, Ivadia, Ivadia, to her husband. And a voice came forth and says, which Ivadia are you looking for? You know, there's, there's other Ivadias in the cemetery. And she says, I need the Evadia concerning which the Pasuk says, Ki yari alikim hu, the true fearing, the true God-fearing Evadia. And she heard her husband's voice, and she, she cried to him, and she says, before you died, you said that even in heaven, you would look out for us, and now they're coming to take our children. So Evadia says, go to Elisha. Go to Elisha, whatever he says, listen, he'll take care of you. And it's that point that she comes to Elisha, and that's the story behind this story, when she, uh, when she comes to Elisha here, and she cries out to Elisha, and says again that um, my serv- your husband, I'm sorry, my husband who was your servant died. You know he was Yerushalmi, and now the debtors are coming to take the two children. Elisha, Elisha tells her. He says, he says, what what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Is there anything that you have in the house? There's a concept that a bracha, um, a bracha, and, and even miracles 
they typically will try to um, use something in existence and add to it instead of creating something new. So Alicia says, what do you have in the bias? What do you have in your house? And she says, nothing. The only thing I have left is one tiny jug of oil. So Alicia says, excellent. He says, you have a jug of oil, it's all taken care of. Go and borrow vessels. He says, as many vessels as you can. Go to all your neighbors. Kalim, Kalim, Reikim, Altamiti. He says, don't, uh, don't uh, squat, you know, as, as many vessels, as many empty vessels as you can. And when you've gathered enough that you feel a tremendous amount of vessels, go into your home, close the door. You and your children should be there and start pouring oil into the vessels. And that's exactly what she did. She went and she borrowed as many vessels as she could. And then she came into the home and she started pouring oil into the vessels. And of course, the miracle happened. And that tiny jug of oil just kept on pouring oil. That's uh, you know, the story of Hanukkah well before the story of Hanukkah. The oil kept on pouring and pouring. And she finished filling up all of the vessels that she had gathered, that she had borrowed from her friends, from her neighbors. To the point that it finished. And uh, she tells her children, no, bring, bring more vessels. <laughs> There's more oil. The oil didn't snap. But they said, we're done. This is all the vessels we have. And Vayamoid Hashem, and at that point, the oil stopped. And she comes to Elisha, and she says, what should I do now? And he says, sell all the oil. This, this wasn't, uh, oil was a very, very expensive commodity, and she has a tremendous amount of oil. She says, sell the oil, and you and your children will be able to live off what, you, um, what you've made here, and you'll be able to pay off all the debts, and you'll never have to worry about financial um, problems anymore. And that's not what happened. She was able to sell the oil and be able to pay off the debts and to bring up her children um, in the way that she wanted. That's the first story of this parak of an additional tremendous miracle of, of the Navi Elisha. Before we go on, I want to say that there is a beautiful mimer of Hasidus from the Alter Rebbe on this story of Elisha's this nace, this nace of Elisha with this woman, the Aisha Sevadya, the wife of Evadya. Um, it's a mimer of the Alter Rebbe, and the Rebbe has a mimer based on this mimer, and it's a, a, a lengthy idea that we could easily spend an entire class upon learning that mimer, which we're not going to do. Uh, but I, I want to give you over just, just a point, a, a point of the, of the mimer of the Alter Rebbe. And he says that this whole story of the, of the, of the woman, of the wife of Avadya coming to Elisha, is really a spiritual story, and it's the story of every neshama crying out to Hashem. And he says that the Isha Achas, the, the wife of the Bnei Anivim, is the neshama of every person. And our neshama is called a wife because it's mekabel. It receives from the Nevi'im, that's the Dvar Hashem, the word of Hashem that gives chayis and gives energy to the neshama. And the neshama comes to Elisha. Elisha is the word keli, Hashem shah, turn to me. So the neshama cries out to Hashem and says, sometimes, avdecha ishi meis, my husband died. Who's my husband? The husband is Eish Yud, the fire of Avas Hashem to Hashem. That sometimes I, I'm just, I lost my inspiration. Uh, and the Neshama says, you know, in heaven I had tremendous Avas Hashem, and Yiras Hashem had tremendous feelings, spiritual feelings, but now it died. In this world, I'm so busy with who knows what and all the different things going on in the world and in my life, and my, my inspiration died. So the Neshama cries out to Hashem, what can I do? What can I do if Avdecha Ishi Meis, if the Eish Yud, the Eish, the fire of my godly soul seems to have died? And Hashem turns, Elisha turns to the soul and says, what do you have left? And the Neshama answers, just Asuch Achad Shemen, that tiny jug of oil, which is the, as the Al-Tarab explained, the Etzim Neshama. The essence of my Neshama, the Pintali, that's always going to be alive. 
my inspiration is gone, my Avas Hashem is gone, my Yiras Hashem, but I have the Osuch Echot Shem and I have that, just the, the Pintel Yid, the essence of my Neshama that's still there. So Alicia comes and he says, fine, no problem. Get a lot of empty vessels and fill them up with the oil of, the, of, of your Neshama. What does the empty vessels mean? And the Al-Tarebbe gave two Pirushim, two Pshatim. One Pshat is mitzvahs done without inspiration, without feeling. That's why they're empty vessels. The mitzvah is a vessel. Normally a, a, a mitzvah should be done with inspiration, with love of Hashem, with fear of Hashem, with simcha. And, but this person is saying, I'm not inspired. So Hashem says, okay, just do a lot of mitzvahs, do a lot of good deeds, not inspired, uninspired good deeds. But ultimately, the oil that there is in the essence of your neshama will fill all of those empty vessels with inspiration as well. So that according to this, the answer for lack of inspiration is just to keep on doing without inspiration and, and then ultimately from the neshama will be drawn inspiration into those vessels. That's one approach that the Alter Rebbe takes in the Maimon. But then he takes another approach. He says sometimes when a person is not inspired, it's because it's because their, their, um, their klipa or their ego has sort of blocked the uh, the channels of inspiration, and therefore there's a there's a clip of buildup. There's a there's a um, there's a ego buildup, and therefore sometimes a person has to humble themselves, and that's uh, discussed in Tanya Perik Chavtes Perik Lamed, where he talks there about the concept of bitushim, which is internal humblings, where a person humbles themselves in order to break down an an, an external ego that's covering over the holiness within ourselves. So according to this pshat, says the Alter Rebbe, when Elisha says, Kalim Reiki, Maltamiti, gather a lot of empty vessels, he was telling her, he was telling her, in other words, telling the Neshama to think about one's own emptiness. That alone, the one should be brokenhearted about their emptiness, that alone breaks down that ego and allows for the Neshama, for the oil of the Neshama, so to speak, to spill out and to fill the person again with inspiration. Those are the two avenues that he takes in the Mimer and explaining the, the depth of the story. Again, the Rebbe has an entire Mimer built on that Mimer of the Alter Rebbe. But that's the basic idea, how he interprets this story of the uh, Ovadia's wife coming to Elisha and with the, you know, the one jug of oil that suddenly filled all the empty vessels. And the Alter Rebbe talks about it as a, an internal story of every neshama who's lacking inspiration. Oh, I, f- I forgot one point. Because she said that, that the debtor is coming to take my two sons as servants. The Alter Rebbe says that means that the Yitzhahara is coming to take my power of Ava and Yira as servants for negative, to, to, be, to involve my love into negative loves and my fear into negative fears instead of Ava Hashem and Yira Hashem. And the answer was, as we said, to take those empty vessels according to the different explanations that we said. Okay, that's a, just a point from that Maimur Chassidus. Let's move on. Pasuk Ches. Another story of Elisha. And another very famous story of Elisha, and it's also a haftarah of one of the parshas um, of the of the week, of the weeks. Vayiyayoma was the day, and Elisha traveled, and he came to a place called Shunim. See, Elisha, based on what we read over here, he seemed to be going from place to place. He didn't spend a lot of. He didn't have one particular home or town, so he traveled, and he would come to a place called Shunim, and there there was a Isha Gedola, a great woman, means a, a wealthy woman, a successful woman, famous woman. And she knew that Elisha was a big tzaddik, was a navi, and she wanted to do that he should stay in, in their home. This this woman, this woman was married too, but she's the one. It seems that is the one of, of fame in the story. And Vatach um, she she begged him that he should come to her home to eat, to spend while he's there. And every time that Elisha would travel through Shunem, 
she would beg and ask to be the one that had this chus that the tzaddik would eat and stay in her home. Finally, this woman realized that from time to time, Elisha comes to the city. So she turns to her husband and he says, I know there's this Ishalokim Kodoshu, this holy man, and he constantly comes through our city. Let us make for him a little room that he should have a place where he can stay. He doesn't need to be, you know, asked, doesn't need to be invited. Let's get him an apartment. Let's provide for him a place. And she says, let's make him a little room and we'll put over there a bed and a, and a table and a, uh, and a shear and menorah light. And whenever he comes, he'll have a place here in our home. And her husband said, it's a wonderful idea. And that's what he did. And this became Elisha's um, little apartment in Shunim whenever he passed this area. This is an interesting concept I saw in a medrash that um, you remember way back in the end of David HaMelech's wife, in the end of David HaMelech's life, they found for David HaMelech a young woman who served him. And she was called Avishag HaShunamis. The medrash says that she was, they were sisters. This Isha of Shunem was the sister of Avishag HaShunamis who was with David HaMelech at the end of his life. That's an interesting medrash that I saw today. Okay, so this happens. So Alicia accepts the invitation. Alicia recognizes that this is tr- truly a, a special woman. Everything is L'shem Shemayim. And he says, okay, this is my home here. One time when he came there, he, re- he, want- he wanted to do something for her. After all, she- she's doing so much for them and taking care of them. And he tells, Alicia had a, um, a shamish, I don't know, a, uh, an attendant. His name was Gehazi. We'll see, Gehazi is important in the story. Although... Not necessarily the best of people, as we see later, but initially it was probably okay. And Gehazi was Elisha's attendant. Um, so Elisha calls Gehazi and he says, Call the, this woman, this Isha Shunamis. And he calls for her, and she stands before him. And he says, I see you've been so helpful to us, and you're doing so much for us. What can I do for you? Is there anything that I can maybe talk to the king for you or talk to the general of the army? Is there any way that I can help you? And she says, I'm good. Baruch Hashem, I have whatever I have. I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't need anything. I'm, I'm, everything's okay. It's interesting. According to Chazal, this day was Rosh Hashanah when he's talking to her. He had come to Shunem then for Rosh Hashanah. And when he said, can I talk to you for the king? He was also talking about Hashem. Could I daven for you? Is there something you need? And as he wasn't just talking about the physical king. He, he, he's a Navi. Can I? And she says, I'm, I'm fine. I have no bakashas. I have no requests. So Elisha turns to Gehazi and says, but is there anything we can do for her? She's not asking, is there anything we do? And Gehazi yes, says yes. He says, she doesn't have a child. She never had a child. And the reason she's not asking is because her husband is already very old. And she's herself, it seems, an older person. And that's not part of their, you know, as far as they're concerned, they're not having children. So Elisha says, call her back. They call her back. And he says, This this year, next year, at this same time, you will be holding, literally hugging, a child. He promised her she didn't have a child in a year. Son. She told her, she said to Elisha, she says, man of God, don't, don't, you know, give me any false hopes over here. And this was so amazing, so astounding. It was, it was so on nobody's radar that she was going to have a child. And she says, I hope you're not giving me any false, um, any false uh, hopes. According to Chazal, it's more than that. She felt there was something wrong with the bracha. He says, in a year, you're going to hug the child. As if there's like, then I'll hug. What's, what's later? It's, it's as, if so, as if that child's life is not going to last or something. Is, she had a premonition, and we, as we know, the story is going to play out that way, that it was a good bracha, but not a, long, a, a long-living bracha. 
next year I'm going to hug my child. And she says, no, I want it to be a complete bracha, that it shouldn't just be next year, but the child should have Arichas Yomit. And as we'll see, that she had, uh, she, she knew what she was saying when she asked that request. Fatara Isha, she became pregnant, and exactly as Alicia said, of course, the next year she had a son, just as Alicia said. Interestingly, um, the Navi doesn't tell us anything about who this son was, right? Just says she had a son, and the story continues about the son. Chazal tells us who the son was. This son was a Navi later, and that's the Navi Chavakuk, which is an important Navi much later. Um, and interestingly, why is Chavakuk called Chavakuk? Because of the bracha Alicia at Chovekes Bain. Alicia said, you're going to be, you're going to be chovek, chovek is to hug. You'll hug your child, but the word chovek is the word chavakuk. And he was named chavakuk because of the bracha that Alicia gave when he tells her that in a year you're going to be having a child and uses this terminology, you'll be hugging your son. Okay. Um, the child gets older and one day he goes out to his father into the field and he tells his father that my head is hurting me very badly. Roshi, Roshi, my head is hurting. And the father sends the boy home with an attendant. The attendant brings him home to his mother. He sits on his mother's lap. He's sick, very sick, high fever. And he sits throughout the day. And ultimately he dies in his mother's hands. She quickly picks, picks up the, the body of her child, puts it on the bed of the Isha Elohim. Remember, Elisha has an apartment in her home. Elisha's not there now. Alicia is back wherever he is, but Alicia has an apartment. So she takes the, 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 the body of the child and puts it on the bed of Alicia in Alicia's apartment. She closes the door, doesn't tell anyone what happened. It's not a regular woman, obviously. She doesn't tell anyone what happened. She calls to her husband, who's in the field, does not tell him what happened, and says, send me please one of the attendants and one of the donkeys because I want to go to the man, to the Isha Lokim, the man of God, Elisha was called the Isha Lokim. I want to go there and come back. And her husband says, Vasepis, <laughs> what happened today? Why are you going to him today? It's not Rishchodesh, it's not Shabbos, it's not a special day. She said, Shalom, I want to go, and that's it. She didn't tell, she didn't tell her husband what happened. She's going. As an interesting aside, there is a concept that Chayiv Adam. Um, there's a concept of obviously on Yom Tov going to the Besamikdash. When there is no Besamikdash, there's a concept of going to one's Rebbe, one's teacher on a Yom Tov. So the Gemara says, what's the source from this Pasuk? That, Alicia, that this uh, husband tells his wife, why are you going to Elisha? It's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Yom Tov. Indicating that if it would be, it makes sense that you're going. Because on, on special dates, it's a time to go to one's Rebbe. That's just an interesting thing the Gemara tells us. Anyway, back to the story. So she saddles the donkey and she tells her attendant, go. She says, don't stop. We're not stopping anywhere. Ride until we get directly to Elisha. And they come to Elisha. Elisha at that point was in Har HaKarmel, the Mount Carmel, the famous Mount Carmel where he had the story of Leon Novi. And Elisha sees from a distance and he sees that this woman is coming and he tells his attendant, Gechazi, he says, why is she coming? What's going on? And he says, go run to her and ask her, are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is the child okay? And that's what happens. So the Gechazi runs and he meets her as she's arriving and he says, are you okay? Is your husband okay, child? She says, Shalom. Everything, Shalom. She didn't want to talk to him. Just like she didn't tell her husband what happened. She wanted to talk directly to the tzaddik. Pasuk Chavzayin Vatovi Elisha Likim Alahar she comes to the, to the man of God, to Elisha on the mountain, and now she falls apart. She falls down by his feet, and she holds on to his feet, and she's crying. 
And Gehazi sees this and he comes over, he tries to push her away. It's not appropriate. She's holding on to the feet of Elisha. And Elisha says, leave, leave over. He says, Harpala, leave, leave her. Obviously, she's very, very bitter. And Hashem is hidden from me. I don't know what this is. Now, something is here or something happened. I don't know what it is. Let her talk. And then she, she, says, she talks and she says, she says, did I ask for a child? I didn't ask for a child. You promised me a child. It came from you. And I said then, don't give me false hopes. In other words, I, I, I felt something was wrong. This was, a, this was a bracha, but with an expiration date. And I asked you then, it shouldn't be false. She, did, she never said the child died. But Elisha, of course, immediately understood what's going on. Elisha turns to Gehazi and he says, he says, take my stick and go. Go directly to the house of, this, of, this, of, of, the, of the woman and the husband and the child. And if anyone sees you on the way, don't bless them. Don't say Shalom Aleichem. Don't say nothing. Go straight. Don't talk. Don't, an- don't ask. Don't answer. And put my stick on the face of the child. And, that, and, and, and let's see if we, could, uh, if we could awaken or revive this child. And the woman says, I'm going with him. She says, I swear, I'm going with him. And she goes, and they both go, the woman and Gehazi. But here Chazal tells us that Gehazi did not listen. And Gehazi, throughout the way, did talk to people. Not just he talked to people, he was telling people, you see this stick? I have a mission to go do Tchiyas HaMesim with this stick. It's, according to some of Farshim, he was trying to show off. According to other of Farshim, he was like laughing from it. Like, I, you think, I was, told I, I was told I'm going to revive the dead with this stick. He was mocking this. So Gehazi was already on his way out of his, uh, you know, uh, his loyalty to Elisha. And so anyways, they go, Gehazi goes before, Gehazi in front, and he comes to the child, and the child is like a laying um, with no life on Elisha's bed, and he puts the stick on the, on the face of the child. Nothing happens. Nothing at all. So he returns to Elisha, and he says, didn't work. Didn't work. Obviously, we know it didn't work because he didn't follow the instructions. But that he didn't say that, obviously. He just said it didn't work. So Elisha says, I'm going myself. And Elisha comes to the home, and the child is dead, laying on the bed. Vayavi comes, he says everyone should leave the room and just he reigns him and the child, the body of the child in the room. He locks the door and he dives to Hashem. He gets up, he lays down on the child, he puts his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he breathes on the child like a type of a CPR, I guess, a spiritual CPR. And, and the child's um, body started becoming warm again. It started becoming warm. He didn't become alive yet, but he started warming up. And Elisha gets up and he walked in the house back and forth. And then he went again onto the child. And again he breathed onto the child. And at this point the child started like uh, coughing or sneezing seven times until the child opened up his eyes. At that point Elisha calls Gehazi and he says, call the, call the woman. And uh, he calls her and he says, come and take your son. Your son is fine. She comes forth. She, she, again she falls on her, to his feet. She bows and she takes her son and she leaves. And this is the story of Elisha and the uh, and the Tchias Hamesim of the woman of, of Shunem. Um, you will recall there was a similar story with Eliyahu Navi, also for a woman who also hosted him. Same thing. And the Gemara talks about the tremendous chus of Achnasas Archim, and especially to a worthy to a tzaddik. Um, and in both cases, it, it led to these tremendous miracles of of Tchias Hamesim. The pasuk continues. Pasuk Lamed Ches. Elisha returned to the Gilgal, and there was a uh, there was a famine. There was a fa- famine in the land. We have to remember, although we're talking about 
um, although we're saying here, you know, beautiful stories about Elisha and the miracles, the, the, what's going on in the nation is not that exciting. The king is Yehoram. Yehoram is idolatrous. The nation is pretty idolatrous with a big tzaddik Elisha. But there's a lot of negative stuff going on that we're not focusing on right now. But that's, that's the background to the story. So Elisha, now there's a, there's a famine in the land. And Elisha comes and he says, he has many disciples. They're called the Bnei HaNavim, the disciples of the Navi. And he says, uh, and they're all sitting before him. And there's no, there's no food. So Elisha tells his, uh, his attendant, take a big pot and make food. <laughs> so they put the pot on the fire and they put on the water, but there's no food to make. So one of them, one of the Talmudim went out to the field to pick whatever they could find, any type of vegetables or anything. And he found some grapes, some other things. And he took whatever he found and put it in the pot. But unbeknownst to the one who was doing the uh, collecting, in that uh, field where he was collecting from, there was also poisonous foods, poisonous vegetables that were growing together with the good stuff that he brought in. And he, they put it, they made it in the pot and they cooked and they started giving it out to the Nevi'im and everyone started eating. And as soon as everyone started eating, they started screaming from pain and they recognized that they're eating poison. The Heimatsaku, they started screaming, they're saying that there's death in this pot. This pot that we're eating is going to kill us all. And uh, they couldn't continue eating. Second, we seem to have disconnected. Let's wait a moment while we reconnect here. Rabbi Silverberg, we couldn't hear you. Yes, 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 I know. We, we've all... We've oh, wait, you're on mute. You're on mute. Okay, give me a moment here. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Do you hear me now? Oh, from them. Okay, I'm already, I'm already a peric further. <laughs> okay, so the, uh, the Talmud went and they found um, some uh, fruits or some vegetables or some grapes and other things and they put it into the pot. But they didn't realize that there was also poisonous um, uh, growths or poisonous vegetables that were growing there. And that was put into the pot as well. The pot was uh, cooked and made for all the Talmudim, for all the disciples. And they started eating. And as soon as they started eating, they started screaming from pain. And they recognized that they were eating something that was very, very deadly and very poisonous. And they cried out and they said, as the Pasuk says in Pasuk Mem, um, that the people started screaming and saying, there's death in this pot. And we're all going to die because we all ate poison. And this, uh, this was right away said to Elisha. And Elisha was there. Elisha says, take quickly, um, he says, take some kemach, some flour, throw it into the pot together with whatever was cooking there and then let everyone eat. And that's what happened. And everybody ate and, and there was no again, miraculously through adding some uh, flour into this pot that was full of various poisons, everything became good and everyone was able to, uh, to eat pro uh, properly. So they didn't die, but their hunger wasn't really, uh, you know, they weren't satiated. And suddenly... A person arrives, Mibal Shalisha from a different city, and he's bringing to the Ishal Akim, to the man of God, Lechem Bikurim, bread as a gift. And he brought him 20 loaves of bread. Um, 
And then Elisha says, excellent, that's wonderful, give it to the Talmudim. So Elisha's attendant says, there's, there's, there's hundreds of Talmudim here. And I, just this amount of loaves is not going to feed all the people that we have over here. And Elisha says, give it to them and they'll eat and there's going to be leftovers. As much as they eat, they'll never be able to finish this. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Again, a miracle came into the food and they were able to eat a tremendous amount of food even though um, initially it wasn't enough for them, um, for them at all. And that's, uh, that's another... Uh, just, again, the, the, the parak is just going through the various nisim of Elisha. Um, one comment on this last story. It says that this man showed up and he brought Bikurim to Elisha. Now that raises a very interesting question. Because we know Bikurim is one of the matanos that you give to a Kohen. Um, in the Besamikdash, you'd bring Bikurim, and Bikurim was from the seven species that Yisrael was blessed with, and you bring the Besamikdash and give it to the Kohen. Elisha wasn't a Kohen. And, this wasn't, and there was no Besamikdash there. I mean, it was in the time of the Besamikdash, but they weren't in the area of the Besamikdash. The Besamikdash was in the area of the two tribes. These are the area of the ten tribes. So what's Bikurim? And here the Gemara says that from here we learn that anyone who brings um, a matana to a tzaddik, to a, to a true Talmud Chacham, so it's as if you're bringing Bikurim to the Beis HaMikdash. And that's an interesting concept. And in fact, uh, it was a custom, it was a minig by Hasidim, especially the greater Hasidim, or the ones who are closer to the Rabbeim over the generations, um, at different times of the year, especially Shavuos time, which is the time of Bikurim, to bring gifts of food to the, to the Rabbeim. And, and based on that Gemara that says, Kalamevi, uh, and based on this passage from Elisha where it says the man was bringing Elisha Bikurim again though it wasn't the real Bikurim but based on the concept of bringing a matana to Atzadik and that's the end of Perik Dalet Perik a continuation of the stories of Elisha um, and again a story from a Haftarah the stories that are said in the Haftarah somewhat, are somewhat uh, more uh, uh, what's the word um, familiar because we hear them once a year in the shul. So here is a story connected with Tsaras, and that's why it's the after of the weeks of Tsaras. It says the following Naamon Sartsva Melach Arum. One of the um, countries around Eretzisrael at that time was the country of Arum. And the general of the army of Arum was a man named Naamon. And he was a powerful man, he was a powerful general. Um, very respected in the kingdom, very respected by, by his master, by the king of Aram, because he was the one who led Aram into uh, numerous successful battles. But this person had, uh, had uh, contracted Saras, leprosy. Saras? Gemara um, says, and that Saras came as an account of his, uh, his arrogance. He was very arrogant because he was such a successful and powerful general. And that arrogance brought him saras. You know, we typically associate saras with Lashon Hara, which is the most common sin that brings saras. But the Gemara talks about other sins as well that can bring a person saras. Anyways, the fact is that Naaman was a Mitzrayim. Okay, one of the battles that Aram did, with that, Ar- Aram, that Aram went out, they went out and they captured a young Jewish girl. And this young Jewish girl came, was brought to be a maidservant by the wife of Naaman, right? Again, Naaman is the general of Aram, and now in a battle they captured a Jewish girl, and this Jewish girl is now a maidservant in this Naaman's home for helping Naaman or serving Naaman's wife. But she sees that her master, Naaman the general, is covered with leprosy, and obviously everyone is very dismayed by that. So she tells her her mistress, you know, Mrs. Naaman, 
She says, why don't you send your husband to the Navi in the Jewish people? The Jewish people have a Navi. He's living, he's living now in the Shomron. And I'm sure, you know, if anyone can heal him, the Navi can heal him. So send your husband, the general, to the Navi of the Jewish people. So Naaman hears this, and he goes to his king, the king of Aram, and he says, you know, we have this girl in our home, and she's from the land of the Jews, and she says that the, the, perhaps the, the, uh, the, uh, the Jewish people have a Navi that can heal me. So the king of Aram says, okay, I'm, I'm game, no problem. And he sends a letter. The king of Aram sends a letter to the king of the Jewish people, not the Navi, the king, which is Yehoram, Yehoram son of Ahav. And he sends a lot of money in it and whatever. And he sends a, this messenger, this, this letter to the king Yehoram. And he says, um, I'm writing you this letter. I'm the king of the neighboring country. I want to send you my general Naaman because I want you to cure him from his leprosy. Now, Yehoram is not a Navi. And Yehoram reads the letter. It says he, rends, he, he rips his garments. He says, what am I? Am I Hashem? Am I a God? That I can make a person live, make a person die. He's telling, sending me that he's sending me his general that I should that I should cure him. It must be he wants to go to war with us. What what other thing? He must be looking for a reason to go to war. So he's asking me this ridiculous request. Obviously, I cannot help him. And really, it's uh, he wants war. I don't, I don't want you know. I'm I'm afraid to go to war. And it so the news leaked out of the palace that there's this confrontation that the king of Aram sent this request to the king of the Jewish people, and the king of the Jewish people is taking this as a sign of war. And the news arrived by Elisha. Elisha hears of what's going on. When Elisha, the man of God, hears that the king of Klayosol rendered his garments, so Elisha sends a messenger to the king. He says, why are you, why are you ripping your garments? Let him come to me. Let everyone know there's a Navi by Kal Yisrael. Yes, he'll come to me. I'll take care of him. So the uh, king is overjoyed. Yehoram, he sends a message to Naaman. Naaman comes. He comes with his uh, riders and his chariots. You know, he's the general of Aram. He doesn't come you know, himself. And they all come to the, to the door of the home of Elisha. And uh, he expects Elisha to bring him in and, and treat him with honor, with dignity, and who knows what. Elisha sends a messenger to the door. And he says, tell your master that he should go and, and immerse himself in the waters of the Yardin seven times, and he'll be, he'll be okay. And now Naaman is insulted. He says, that's what I came to Israel for, to go immerse myself on the Jordan River. He says, I thought he's going to come out of the house to me, and he's going to stand, and he's going to pray to his God, and he's going to wave his hands, and he's going to do something magical, and, and, and you know, pull a cure out of some miraculous way. He says, what is he telling me? He's telling me to, to, to immerse in the Jordan. He says, we have better rivers in our, in our country than here. The Parpar and others in Damascus. We have much better rivers than the rivers of the Jewish people. I'll, I'll immerse myself in them. And he turns to leave in anger. But his servants come over to him and they say, listen. He says, listen, we came all the way here. We came to the land of Israel. He says, who knows? The Navi may have said something great. Maybe he knows what he's saying. Why don't we do this? Why don't we go into the waters? Why don't we immerse ourselves? And perhaps it will work. And he says, okay. And he gets off his uh, chariot and he goes to the Yardin and he, and he toivels. He uh, immerses himself seven times as the Isha, Lekim, the man of God said. And immediately his entire flesh turns back to be like the flesh of a young child, perfectly fresh and perfectly healed.
And at this point, he recognizes what's, uh, you know, his mistake, and he returns. He says, we're going back to Elisha. And they return back to Elisha, Lakim, him, and all of his guard, and everyone had come with him, and they stand before him. And he says, Now I know there is no God in the whole world, only by Kal Yisrael. And now, let me give you a gift. Let me pay you. Let me, let me you know, reward you for the fact that you cured me. Elisha says, no, he says, I swear to Hashem, I will not take anything from, from you whatsoever. And he begged him to take. Elisha says, no, I'm not taking anything from you. This, I'm doing this as not the Hashem, I'm not, not for reward. And he didn't take anything. Namon says, you know what? Okay, fine. So I won't give you anything. But I'm asking, could I take some of the land of Eretz Yisrael and take it with me back to my country? I recognize the Kedusha of this place. The Kedusha, I want to take some of this land. And he says, because I'm never going to be bowing anymore to my Avedizaris, to my idols. He says, the only thing is I beg for forgiveness when I'll be together with my master, the king of Aram, and we'll be in the house of idolatry and he'll bow, I'll bow with him. But I'm just doing that out of respect for my master, the king. But from now on, I, my, my God is the God of the Jewish people. Elisha says, Lech Shalom, go in peace. And he, and he left. But here we have the final downfall of Gehazi. The, um, yes? Rabbi Silverberg, I didn't understand. You said, can I take some land? L-A-N-D? Some ground. Yes, some ground from the land. He wanted to take some earth from Eretz Yisrael. Oh. He, okay. he recognized the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to take some earth and bring that to him as, as a bracha for himself. And saying that he promises this, from now on I only serve Hashem and no one else, and therefore I want to take something from the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael. Um, I think if you go today to Eretz Yisrael as well, in many tourist places they'll, send you as, they'll sell you earth or air or water. But uh, he was the first one who, who thought of it. Now we, have, now we have the downfall of Gehazi. That is because Gehazi was, he wanted money, and he recognized here that there was just such a good opportunity because this huge, this major general of Aram wanted to gift Elisha, wanted to give gifts of, of monetary value, great monetary value, and Elisha refused. And Gehazi says, why not? <laughs> he wants to help us out. So Gehazi, it says, Vayemer Gehazi, not Elisha, this attendant of Elisha, he says, my, my master, Elisha, did not allow Naaman to give us the gifts that, that we deserve. I and mean, we took care of him. He says, I swear that I'm going to run after him and I'm going to get gifts. And that's what he did. Gehazi runs after Naaman. And Naaman is on his chariot and he sees from far that Gehazi is coming. He recognized Gehazi. Gehazi was the attendant by Elisha. And he comes, he, he comes down the chariot and says, is everything okay? What do you, what do you want? So he says, yeah, I'm fine, but my master sent me, and here Gehazi lies. He says, my master sent me to say that though initially he refused your gift, but now more people came to us, more Nevi'im, whatever, from, from Ephraim, and I don't have food for them. So could you give some silver and some clothing for the people, the people that we have to support? It's obviously, Gehazi talks in a cunning way. First of all, it's not from him. He's saying, he's talking in the name of Elisha, which of course makes the sin that much greater. And Naaman says, fine, no problem. Take it, take whatever you want. And he gives him the, the silver, and he gives him clothing. Um, he gives him whatever he asks for. And he even sends attendants to, he sends along two attendants to carry it for, um, for Gehazi. They come to a certain hidden spot, and Gehazi says, like, I don't need you guys anymore. And he puts it all away in a certain place, a hiding place. He sends the people back to Naaman. 
And that's it. Gechazi hides it and comes back to Elisha. Of course, he doesn't tell Elisha about this whole story. But of course, you don't have to tell Elisha. He comes and stands before Elisha, and Elisha says, in Gechazi, where are you coming from, Gechazi? And Gechazi says, nowhere. I, I, I wasn't anywhere. I, I've been around. Elisha says, he says, do you think that my heart did not go with you? Do you think that I, I, that I wasn't with you the whole time when you turned around and when you went to the, when you met that, the general by his chariot, when he came off the chariot and when he gave you the, the money? He says, and not just money, but, but the, he gave you the valuables that, can, the, that you want to buy other things with. He talks about the vineyards and, and sheep and oxen and servants. He says, my the kola to Gechazi says that the tsaras namon that we healed I healed with the power of Hashem namon from his tsaras from his leprosy that leprosy should now affect you and your children forever and Elisha turned around and immediately Gechazi became white with tsaras and obviously he had uh, at that point he was no more Elisha's attendant he was banished from Elisha's presence but he was very very severely punished for the sin um, it's interesting that Chazal, I don't know, they say that Elisha was too tough with Gechazi. In other words, Gechazi sinned, and he wasn't ready to be Elisha's attendant and sin in such a way made him, it made him all the more um, you know, culpable for punishment, but still it says that uh, he went too much with Smoldocha. There's Yimin Mikarebes, a Smoldocha, and there are certain times in history, even the greatest Sadikim um, that stood up for the you know, honor of Hashem and so on and so forth, but there is a, Gemara says that, uh, that even from Elisha was expected to give Gechazi a second chance or something like that. But that's, uh, that is the story of Gechazi, um, where Elisha, uh, the entire thing Elisha was trying to do here was a Kiddush Hashem. The whole idea of having this uh, general come was to show, as we said earlier, Yesh Novi Bi Yisrael, that there's a Novi by Klal Yisrael. And not taking any money from him just to help him. Not to make it like he's gaining something from it. And now Gechazi turned the whole thing around to Chilol Hashem, taking money from him and lying. And that's why Elisha was so upset and gave Gechazi this curse which happened and affected him and his children. Okay, a little more. Um, a little, a few more minutes. Let's, uh, let's start the new parak. I don't know if we'll finish it, but we'll start parak Vav. Continue, again, continuation of the stories of Elisha. Elisha, the, uh, the Nevi'im, again, the children of the Nevi'im, which is the way the Pasuk always describes the disciples. The disciples of the Nevi'im tell Elisha, they say that there's no place, there's too many Talmidim, there's no place in the place where we learn. Uh, interesting statement from Chazal, why suddenly now? Suddenly now there became too many Talmidim? So they write that Gechazi didn't let a lot of Talmidim come to Elisha. Because Gechazi had a lot of negative tendencies all, all along. And one of the things he does is, he does, he, he did was he discouraged more Nevi'im from coming. But now that Gechazi is out of the picture, so suddenly there's more and more Talmidim, more and more Nevi'im. So they tell Elisha there's no place. Perhaps we can go to the Yardin and build over there a bigger, you know, bigger Mesmedrash, a bigger place for us to learn and be. And um, Elisha says, fine. And that's what they do. They go out and they start building. And they're, they, have, they have axes and wood. And Elisha comes with them as they're doing this, as they're building the place for them to, to learn, to study. And the Basik says that one of them was, uh, he was uh, with an axe, he was trying to knock down a beam. And the axe, which is a metal axe, fell into the water. And the Talmud says, Oi! 
He says, I lost my axe, and, and it's a borrowed axe. It's a borrowed axe. So Alicia, who's there, says, where did it fall? And he showed him. So Alicia says, take a piece of wood and throw it into the water, and it will make the, uh, the, the wood will go down and bring up the iron. And that's what happened. He threw wood into the water, and the iron came up, and he took the iron out of the water. Interesting story. You know, typically the nature is that iron sinks. Wood floats to the tap. Here, the iron has sunk. Now you threw wood after the iron, the wood that normally floats sunk, and the iron came up. It's interesting, the Gemara says that when uh, Klal Yisrael was about to leave Mitzrayim, uh, on, the, on the actual night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and most people were busy with collecting, um, going to the Egyptians, the Mitzrayim, and asking for the clay kasef, the clay zav, the vessels of silver and gold, as Moshe told them. What was Moshe busy with on that night? So it says, Moshe was busy with something else. He wanted to find the coffin of Yosef HaTzadik. Right? Because we know that Yosef had said that when you leave Mitzrayim, you take me with you, my body. So Yosef, uh, Moshe wanted to find the coffin. Where did he find, where's he going to find the coffin? Who knows where the coffin is? So he went to Serach Basoshe. Sarah was always the woman with the secrets. She always knew the secrets. And she knew where Yosef was. And Moshe goes to Sarah, where is Yosef? And she tells him that he's in an iron coffin on the bottom of the Nilus. So Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the Nilus, the Nile bank. Again, this is all on the night of Pesach. Everyone's, you know. And Moshe goes, and he takes and he writes on an amulet, Aleishur, an amulet, and he throws it into the Nilus, and the iron coffin comes up from the bottom of the Nilus. So the Gemara says, such a nace, Moshe Rabbeinu made an iron coffin should float to the top of the Nilus. Says the Gemara, well, obviously. If Elisha was able to do it, and Elisha is a Talmud of Eliyahu Anobi, who is a Talmud of a Talmud of a Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu, so obviously Moshe Rabbeinu could do it. Now, this concept of something that's sunk in the water of iron and miraculously suddenly floats up, we already have from Moshe Rabbeinu when they were leaving Mitzrayim. And now again, by Elisha, with that axe of one of his Talmidim, uh, who lost the axe while they were building this new place for them, uh, for them to learn Torah. Okay. Um, next story. Pasiches. The king of Aram, right, which was, who was the king of Naaman, right, in the last, in last, uh, last parak, Naaman was the general of Aram. The king of Aram was always in a fight with the Jewish people. And so one of the things that he decided to do, he wanted to trap the king. The king of the Jewish people was Yehiram. So he, um, he made different ambushes for Yehoram. He would go to a certain place and would have soldiers there. He himself was there. And they knew that Yehoram would pass through that place. Um, and he tried to trap the Melech Yisrael, Yehoram the Melech Yisrael. So Elisha, even though Yehoram was a Russia, but still he was the Melech Yisrael. So Elisha would send messages to Yehoram, don't go to that place tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that, that the pathway that you normally take that's a, don't go there. And Yehoram tested Elisha. He sent other people there and he realized they fell into the trap. So Yehoram recognized when Elisha is giving him advice, he better listen. And a number of times this happened, that Elisha would, would, um, would tell Yehoram of the upcoming traps of the Melech Aram. And so in Pasig Aleph, the king of Aram becomes very angry. He says, someone's leaking information to the Jewish people. I keep on setting up traps for the king. And every time I set up a trap, he goes the other direction. So he sets up an investigation. Where's the leak? Who's the mole, right? Who's the, who's the spy that the Jewish people have by us? So Pasuk Yid Beis, 
Vayomer Achad Ma'avodov, one of the servants of Yehoram says, he says, no. He says, Le'adoni Ha'melech. There's no, there's no mole, there's no spy. Ki Elisha Hanavi. Asher be Yisrael, the Jewish people have a Navi, his name is Elisha, he tells the king, whatever he wants to tell, whatever goes on in your bedroom, he tells the king. You can't hide from him, it's Nevoah. So Yehoram says, really? He's the one, so let's get him. So he says, let's send soldiers to get Elisha. And he sends, he finds out where Elisha is at that time, and at that time he's in a place called Doisam, and he sends uh, arm, you know, uh, uh, horses and wagons and chariots and a, and a big battalion of soldiers. They come in the middle of the night and they surround the city where Elisha is. One of, Zali- one of Elisha's attendants wakes up and he sees they're surrounded by an army. He comes running into Elisha and he's crying, screaming. He says, Elisha, what are we going to do? We're surrounded by an army. You realize that Elisha is not, a, is not an army. Elisha doesn't have soldiers. Elisha is a rebbe with, with Nevi'im. So Elisha says, don't worry about him. We're more than them. We have more than them. Which didn't make any sense. What do you mean we're more than them? They have an army. We're a bunch of Nevi'im. So by Yispalel Elisha, Elisha davens to Hashem, and he says, Hashem, open up the eyes of my Talmud, of this, Mishar, of this attendant. And, he open, and suddenly he's able to see that Elisha has around him horses and chariots and soldiers these are all malachim. But the Talmud suddenly saw a spiritual vision that when Elisha says, we have more than them, Elisha is surrounded with protection of, of soul, spiritual soldiers and malachim that are much greater than, the, um, than that group of soldiers that the, that the Melech of Aram, the king of Aram, has sent. Um, so, fine, fine, so the Talmud calmed down. Meanwhile, the people of Aram come down, the soldiers of Aram come down and they want to attack or conquer Elisha. Elisha davens to Hashem, and they all become blind. All of these people that are surrounding him, just like the people in the time of Sadoim way back when, that were surrounding Lloyd's house, and the Malachim made them blind, Elisha made all these people blind. And then Elisha goes out to them, and he says, all of you people, you can't see, you're in the wrong place. You came to the wrong address. And he takes them to Shomron, which is the city where the Melech Yisrael is. And all of these soldiers, all these blind soldiers arrive in Shomron. And the king comes, the king sees that he's, you know, handed on a silver platter hundreds of, of soldiers, of enemy soldiers. And suddenly now Elisha Davins and their eyes open up and they see that they're surrounded by the soldiers of the Jewish people. So the Yehoram, the king, asks Elisha, what do I do with these guys? Do I put them to death? Elisha says, no, send them back home. Feed them and send them back home. They should know the nace that happened over here when they tried to come and catch me. And that's what happened. The uh, king of Klai Yisrael uh, feeds them. And he uh, and he sends them and he sends them back home and they go back to Aram and they say uh, maybe we shouldn't start up with Elisha. And that's the end of that story. That brings us to Pasik Chaf Dalid, which begins a new, more lengthy story. So we'll stop here by Perik Vav Pasik Chaf Dalid and continue Bezras Hashem next week from here.